These are some of the worst injuries that we've ever seen. The VPD wants witnesses after a shocking case of violent sexual assault on a senior. Plus, it sort of dismays me, to be honest with you. A BC doctor getting requests for vaccine exemption notices pens an open letter about fraud and. I want you to think about all the freedoms that so many people have fought for. The local tribute as a somber milestone is marked around the world 20 years after 9-11. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with a rare weekend public warning from Vancouver police. They're looking for information that will lead to the arrest of a suspect who's accused in the violent sexual assault of a senior, an attack that's left her with life-threatening injuries. But as Kamil Kermali reports, the details we know so far are fueling more questions than answers. A puzzling and perplexing case of violent sexual assault on a senior that left a 76-year-old woman in hospital fighting for her life. This is a very shocking case. Uh, These are some of the worst injuries that we've ever seen. We don't know yet who did this. Police say the elderly woman uses a motorized wheelchair. She left her downtown care home on Tuesday at around 2 p.m. That's when things get hazy. She didn't return until Thursday morning. A full 45 hours later, she was found beaten and bruised with injuries to her face and had no idea where she'd been. Because of the extent of her injuries, she's not able to tell us too much of what happened or get into too much detail. Police say they do not know where this woman was during that entire span of two nights, but say she's known to frequent Cathedral Square here at the corner of Dunsmere and Richard Street. It's uh, elder abuse, it's handicapped abuse. Jules Anderson, a vulnerable senior shaken by the incident, but not surprised. He's been a victim to violence himself. I've been in the same position. I've been assaulted. I've, I've always been picked on. I'm a target. Meanwhile, women's advocacy groups say the victim is a target many sexual predators look out for. A perpetrator will seek those that they can assert their power over, and in this case we have the confluence of gender, disability, and age. Although the victim isn't able to recall her location, police say she is able to provide some details about her attacker. Investigators are now looking for a white male with a stocky build, 35 to 40 years old with light to dark brown hair and wide set eyes. He was seen wearing a black or navy colored jacket. Police keeping tight-lipped on the investigation, just looking for the public's help in where the victim may have been for the length of nearly two whole days. It would have been an elderly woman in a wheelchair, possibly wearing a pink shirt with uh, a lot of bruising and and injury to the face. So that is why, if that rings a bell for anybody. But say they may release more details if they keep hitting dead ends. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Police in Surrey are aggressively looking for the suspect who opened fire on one of their own. Officers combed the area of 82nd Avenue just past 128th Street all night into the morning after a Surrey RCMP officer was shot at last night. The officer tried to conduct a traffic stop of the driver of a black sedan just before 9 p.m. But RCMP say the driver instead fired two gunshots at the officer. Police say the officer was not hurt and initially pursued the driver, but stopped a short distance later for fear of endangering the public. Surrey RCMP have released a surveillance image of the black sedan in hopes of finding the driver. The officer had a reason to pull that vehicle over. 
when we are conducting our vehicle interdictions, one of our priorities is to pull over vehicles that we believe are suspicious or that have committed an infraction under the Motor Vehicle Act or for a variety of other reasons. What I can share with you is that we target specific areas in the city where we believe that activity could be taking place, criminal activity, and we target those areas. Um, you know, we won't be able to confirm who is in that car until we catch this person. Police have also released another photo, this one of another vehicle whose driver may have information about the investigation. This driver is not a suspect in the shooting. Police are just looking to speak with this driver as a possible witness. Police on Vancouver Island are searching for a suspect in two separate ramming incidents involving pedestrians and a police cruiser. 28-year-old Jonathan Pachetti is wanted on warrants for assaulting a police officer with a weapon, fleeing police, dangerous driving and mischief. Central Saanich police allege he drove his truck onto the hood of a cruiser and pushed it aside during a traffic stop on August 31st. Last Sunday, Pachetti allegedly tried to ram a woman and her two friends as they walked near Dallas Road in Victoria. No one was hurt in either incident. If you see Pachetti or his truck, a 1999 green Ram Dodge 2500, you're asked to call 911. Vancouver police busting an alleged speed demon for the third time this year. The VPD traffic unit caught the driver of this Nissan 300ZX doing 107 kilometers an hour in a 50K zone. It was along Terminal Avenue on Wednesday afternoon. Police say this was the third excessive speeding charge this year for the same driver. The ride was impounded for 90 days. And police in Abbotsford are investigating the cause of a serious overnight crash on Gladys Avenue. It appears a car landed some, on some train tracks. A power pole was damaged and BC Hydro reported outages in the area, impacting hundreds of customers. No word if there were any injuries. With the province's vaccine passport set to take effect on Monday, some are rushing to get last-minute vaccinations, but others are still not sold on the shot. And as Kristen Robinson reports, a Kamloops area doctor says his clinic has had to fight back against patients who are seeking a way to avoid getting immunized. Ahead of the BC vaccine card implementation, dozens line up for a pop-up clinic in Surrey. The local community, including businesses, partnering with Fraser Health to reach some of the 22% of BC's eligible population not yet fully vaccinated. You basically touch on their emotional part, their social lives and uh, their personal lives, and you're able to like convince them of the importance of getting vaccinated. But some are still hesitant about the shot. It actually made me sad and disappointed. In Sun Peaks, Dr. Shane Barclay forced to pen an open letter to his patients after his clinic was inundated with requests for vaccine exemption letters. We've got something that we can fight this pandemic with, and now we're having to sort of convince people to take this treatment. There are only three legitimate exemptions, he says, being age 11 or younger, having received a vaccine for something else within two weeks, meaning you could get vaccinated for COVID after two weeks, and having a severe allergic or anaphylactic reaction to one of the COVID vaccines. Otherwise, physicians are being asked to write a medical legal letter, which amounts to fraud. The concern is if I knowingly write a letter for exemption, and that person either then gets sick with COVID or spreads the disease, 
that's that's on my shoulders. His advice, trust science and get vaccinated. Almost every patient I've treated in the recent past was not vaccinated. As ER doctors like Vancouver's Jeff Yu take the message to social media while battling the Delta variant in COVID's fourth wave. It's soul-crushing to see so many young people get ill with a disease that could have been preventable if they had just gotten the vaccine. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Those fighting to hold a referendum over the future of policing in Surrey feel they're getting a lot more attention from city bylaw officers these days. That follows a run-in involving Mayor Doug McCallum last weekend that's being investigated by the RCMP. Julia Foy has the latest. If you want to find people, just follow the dogs. Thank you so much Saturday morning, a group of canvassers came to Dogwood Park in South Surrey to collect signatures on a petition. It's going very well. So we intend to, to win, and we will win. The Surrey Police Vote Group is trying to collect 37,000 signatures by mid-November. Then it can ask the province to hold a referendum and ask Surrey residents whether they want to keep the RCMP or transition to the Surrey Police Service, an option that's been pushed by Mayor Doug McCallum. They feel that the process so far, initiated by the police chief McCallum, has not been honest, not been open, not been transparent. But petition volunteers are feeling some pushback themselves. Danes was given a ticket by bylaw officers. They took great exception to the fact that I had this sign at the back of my car said I was in contravention of bylaws, quoted a number of bylaw numbers. I think it's quite a stretch of the imagination to look at the bylaw that they claim was broken. Um, I don't believe that has ever happened before. They ran across, right across here. This is not the first time petitioners have come toe-to-toe with the mayor. Last weekend, McCallum allegedly got into an argument with volunteers outside a local grocery store. He claims one woman drove into him. As she pulled out and, and turned right, she clipped my knee and, and my bottom leg and then ran over my foot at the same time. Surrey Vote canvassers say the mayor's accusations or bylaw tickets will not stop the signatures. Despite the best efforts to harass, intimidate and bully, the interest is, is phenomenal. Whole families coming um, in van loads to sign. There is no doubt about it. The public wants their say. Julia Foy, Global News. BC's Uniform Gang Enforcement Team has been deployed to Revelstoke to help provide security for residents as dozens of bikers have descended upon the small city for an event. Darian Matassafung has the story. Members of BC's Uniform Gang Enforcement Team are in Revelstoke for the weekend as dozens of bikers have gathered in the southeastern BC city. Their presence is to hopefully deter any violence from happening between rival outlaw motorcycle gangs. It is a, a biker event. What we know, or traditionally what we know, as we've seen numerous times in Canada, is that these types of events do attract members of outlaw motorcycle gangs. The Special Forces team is assisting the local detachment in hopes of not having a repeat of what happened in Cranbrook on July 23rd. Really there to protect the public uh, for any kind of situation that that may happen. As we know, back in in July, uh, residents of uh, Cranbrook experienced a situation where we had uh, rival outlaw motorcycle gangs in their community, uh, which resulted in a, a violent incident with several people going to hospital. 
that's what we want to prevent. Mounties were called to a gas station on Cranbrook Street North around 7 p.m. to reports of multiple people fighting, and five people were sent to hospital with non-life-threatening stab wounds. The gang enforcement team regularly responds to communities around the province to provide support to police agencies, either proactively or reactively. We have seen uh, different jurisdictions within D.C. start to to have their their rides. Um, Outlaw motorcycle gang uh, groups are having their rides as well. So what we we would want to do is just ensure that uh, they understand that that we are present. Organizers of the event declined an interview, but did say the event is legal and that all attendees are following public health orders for the region. Darian Matassafung, Global News, Revelstoke. After the break, remembering 9-11 20 years later. In the last 20 years, my family and I have at times known unbearable sorrow and disbelief. In Ground Zero, the families of 9-11 victims remember lost loved ones and the renewed fears on a somber anniversary. Ordinary people who became extraordinary examples of bravery. And how the pandemic changed but didn't stop the annual 9-11 memorial ride from Sawasan to the Peace Arch border. A somber milestone day today, the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks in the U.S. For millions around the world, the day brings back renewed grief from the past two decades after terrorists in planes killed nearly 3,000 people in New York, Pennsylvania and outside Washington, D.C. Jennifer Johnson has more. Chrissy A. Adamo. The names of the lost were remembered at the Ground Zero Memorial. Every one of the more than 2,700 people killed in New York on the morning of September 11, 2001. Two moments of silence were held to commemorate when each plane hit the towers. U.S. President Joe Biden attended the somber ceremony, along with former Presidents Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. Two decades have passed, but for those who lost loved ones, it seems like yesterday. In the last 20 years, my family and I have at times known unbearable sorrow and disbelief about the lives that would never be. In Shanksville, Pennsylvania, bells were rung in remembrance by the two emergency responders first on the scene after United Airlines Flight 93 went down as passengers tried to stop the terrorists. President Biden chose not to give a nationwide address on this day, but Americans did hear from former President George W. Bush, the nation's leader on 9-11. The world was loud with carnage and sirens, and then quiet with missing voices that would never be heard again. A ceremony was held at the Pentagon, too, where terrorists crashed American Airlines Flight 77 into the building that houses the country's top military leaders. This anniversary comes less than two weeks after America's chaotic end of the war in Afghanistan that began after 9-11. A war that killed mastermind Osama bin Laden but left behind other extremists. America's defense secretary, who fought in Afghanistan, promised the job is not over. It will always be our duty to fulfill their missions and to live up to their goodness. 20 years later, Americans are concerned that al-Qaeda, the terror network behind the 9-11 attacks, will regroup in Afghanistan. The pain of this day remains fresh in millions of minds. With renewed fears, something like this could happen again. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. It's 11 a.m. 
over something strange. And another somber ceremony in Gander, Newfoundland today, also to commemorate the 9-11 attacks. With its location on the main North Atlantic Air Corridor, the community served as a key point for planes to land as the U.S. closed its airspace after the attacks. Within hours, 38 planes landed in Gander, and the town of 11,000 people welcomed 7,000 bewildered passengers. Today is, is also a reflection on ourselves on how we live our lives and how we treat our fellow humans. This is a day of acknowledgement that darkness is overcome only by light and hatred only by love. And it's a reminder to all of us to be that light and to share that love. And on this milestone anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, first responders joined motorcyclists in a special memorial ride from Sawasan Mills. The pandemic not halting the 20th edition of the 9-11 Memorial Ride. Due to Peace Arch Park restrictions, the ceremony was held in the mall parking lot before the emergency vehicle procession to the Peace Arch border. Retired Coast Guard employee Guy Morrell was inspired to honor the victims of the September 11th terrorist attacks after visiting Ground Zero a year later. He remembers his daughter when he thinks about the families who lost loved ones. I've been fortunate to watch her grow and get married. But I think of the emergency responders that did not have that opportunity. Those who perished that day, and many who are still suffering and dying because of that attack. This ride, I want you to think about all the freedoms that so many people have fought for. I want you to think of every one of those emergency responders who did not have the privilege of sharing another day. Still ahead, federal leaders campaign in BC and our Richard Zussman sits down with one of them. Plus, how Justin Trudeau is responding to Jody Wilson-Raybould's new book on the SNC-Lavalin affair. And the warning from doctors in Alberta amid a spike in pregnant people ending up in ICUs. There is outrage over a video that shows RCMP using a vehicle to knock down a man seen carrying a gun in a rural area south of Edmonton. First, a warning, the video in this story is disturbing. The footage shows a man walking on the side of the highway near Wetaskiwin, carrying what appeared to be a gun. A police vehicle pulls up and knocks him forward. The man stumbles, but continues. That's when the truck hit him again. This time, he falls to the ground. RCMP say the action was taken when the man refused to drop the weapon. A 25-year-old St. Thomas, Ontario man is facing a charge of assault with a weapon for allegedly throwing gravel at Liberal leader Justin Trudeau at a campaign stop last week. The London Police Service says Shane Marshall has appeared in court and has another appearance scheduled for October 6th. Trudeau has faced angry protesters at a number of campaign stops, with all party leaders calling for an end to the violence after the gravel-throwing incident in London. 
On the campaign trail, the federal party leaders are picking up the pace on the campaign trail with just over a week remaining until the election. In Mississauga, Ontario, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau was forced to confront new allegations from former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould after an excerpt from her upcoming book was published in the Globe and Mail. Wilson-Raybould claims Trudeau wanted her to lie amid what she called a pressure campaign to interfere in the criminal prosecution of SNC-Lavalin. I did not want her to lie. I would never do that. I would never ask her that. That is simply not true. Save others. In Today Whitby, Ontario, Erin O'Toole says Trudeau forcing Jody Wilson-Raybould out of the Liberal Party is a sign that Trudeau puts himself first. The Conservative leader also shared his plan for public transit in the greater Toronto area, a region with 34 seats up for grabs in the election. It's time Canada had a Prime Minister from the 905, from the GTA. It's time we had a Prime Minister who personally knows and understands the challenges facing our communities. Because I grew up... The NDP's Jagmeet Singh was here on the West Coast today to finally announce details of his party's platform. He was in the Lower Mainland yesterday to vote in an advance poll in Burnaby. Then this morning he was in Vancouver where he announced his costed platform, including promises on pharmacare. Our Richard Zussman has more in a one-on-one -on -one interview with Singh. We are a little bit more than a week away from the election and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is in Vancouver. Housing is a major issue it has become increasingly unaffordable. What would you like to see happen in the housing market in order to ensure that more people can find themselves a home, either buying or renting? Uh, first of all, both. We need both buying and renting, so that's really key. Uh, we wanna get big money out of the housing market, and we're seeing more and more when, the first, when a person first tries to buy their home, they're competing with property flippers, speculators, companies with deep pockets, and it shouldn't be that way. And to do that, we'll put in limits that will discourage that speculation to drive down those pressures. We also want to invest massively in building more homes that are affordable, that are in your budget. The, the cost will fall on Canadians to pay for expensive promises. Pharmacare is expensive. These big promises are expensive. So who is taking the burden up front to pay for these programs? Well. We want to lay this out. This is not just uh, a tax on billionaires. We're also talking about companies like Amazon and Google that make profits in Canada, but they, they don't pay taxes here because of the way they set up their corporate structure. France has shown that there is a way we can tax their revenues. That's going to increase our, our, our revenue. We're also talking about closing the loopholes, the offshore tax havens and the other loopholes that exist. If you look at the polls, it's hard to believe the NDP will form government, but there's a very good chance that you will have a strong seat at the table, if not the strongest seat at the table in a minority situation. I know you get asked this a lot. If the Conservatives have the most seats, the Liberals have the second most seats, and you could decide either one, will you give the Conservatives the first shot to form government? I can flip it around and say, if we were in government, we'll absolutely work with whoever wants to work to achieve these goals. But in terms of who's willing to prop up conservatives, the only leader in this race right now who's actually propped up a conservative is Mr. Trudeau. He did it back in 2009 when he voted for a budget that propped up the Harper conservatives. So he's the only one who's actually done it. We've been committed to fighting for people and we'll do that. But you don't have a preference between the conservatives or the liberals. If it is up to that, 
you don't have a preference of who you would support. Oh, we have a preference. We think both are bad for Canadians. We think uh, four more years of Mr. Trudeau <laughs> would be bad. That's the system works. You may have to choose between one or the other. We think that they're both bad for Canadians, though. We want folks to know we think both would be bad, and that's why we want you to vote for New Democrats. We will fight for you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. And for Richard's full interview with Jagmeet Singh, you can head to our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. In health matters now, doctors in Alberta are sounding the alarm when it comes to the number of unvaccinated new mothers in that province. That comes after Global News confirmed an unvaccinated pregnant woman died in Edmonton Hospital earlier this week. Sources have confirmed the woman died from a COVID-19 related infection following an admission to intensive care. Global News has also confirmed the woman's baby survived delivery. This comes following Thursday's warning from Alberta's chief medical officer of health that those who are pregnant are at high risk for severe outcomes from COVID-19. One Alberta doctor wants expectant parents to know the vaccine is safe. If a mom gets vaccinated, the vaccine itself does not actually, there is no way it can get to baby. And the antibodies, the protection, that is that gets into her bloodstream and goes through the placenta to protect baby. On Thursday, Dr. Hinshaw said that in August alone, six pregnant Albertans were admitted to ICU due to COVID-19, all of them unvaccinated. That's in comparison to the seven pregnant Albertans admitted to the ICU for COVID-19 in the entire first year of the pandemic. And coming up next, strong winds and storm surges. A look at the damage as Hurricane Larry wipes out power, trees and fishing wharves across Newfoundland. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. I like the dances. Live entertainment, lights, lanterns, and food. How the new Light Up Chinatown Festival is bringing people back to the hard-hit historic community. That's after weather. First, cleanup efforts and damage assessments are well underway in parts of Newfoundland and Labrador after Hurricane Larry made landfall overnight. There's trees right over here. A Vancouver resident sent us this video outside his hotel in St. John's as the Category 1 storm hit the southern coast of the island. Larry brought sheets of rain and sustained winds of 130 kilometers per hour across the Avalon Peninsula. About 60,000 customers lost electricity at one point as the storm brought down trees, power lines and scattered debris across streets. A local elementary school had its roof shredded by powerful winds. Larry is now a post-tropical storm and now out to sea, headed for Greenland. And let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell now, who's been tracking the storm. Uh, tropical storm now, so it's been downgraded. What's the latest? Uh, we are going to continue to see for Atlantic Canada large swells right now. Oh, I see if we can get that bug for the global news just removed there so I can see what the winds are at. But they're over 100 kilometers per hour. And we are seeing more of a northeasterly wind. Thanks so much in the control room. But we've got some of those gusts just over 140 kilometers per hour. So Atlantic Canada will still be impacted as the cleanup continues across that region. Now, here back at home, it's been a great start to the weekend. 
We've had cloud cover. We've seen some on and off showers. We will see some sunshine in the mix, and I'll have the timeline coming up in just a moment. Temperatures are sitting at 16. We've got a southeasterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. Here's a snapshot of the satellite and radar. What we're seeing now is still a few isolated showers, especially across the island, Metro Vancouver, and stretching in towards the Fraser Valley. It continues overnight and into the morning hours, and then breaks as we get in through the afternoon tomorrow. The instability is there at this hour across the central interior. We're seeing the risk of thunderstorms and the next weather maker that is going to move in along the northern half of the province will continue to bring wet weather across the region overnight and then tapering off to showers by the day. So overnight for Metro Vancouver though we're down to 15 degrees as we get in towards the afternoon with the partly cloudy sky it is drying out and temperatures tomorrow will be closer to 19. We're right around the average for this time of the year. On the future cast though the area of concern as we get in through the afternoon and early evening will be for the southern interior and the southeastern corners of the province. We're looking at the chance of showers and there is a bit of instability where we're looking at a slight risk of a thunderstorm. So the concern for tomorrow with some active weather will be along the south southern half of the province, especially towards the interior, and we'll still be looking at wet weather along the northern half. Now the smoky skies bulletin for the following areas, southern Okanagan and stretching in towards the Kootenai, still being impacted by the smoke over the next 24 and 48 hours. Those with respiratory issues will try and want to limit the amount of time spent outdoors if possible. Now, the northern half of the province will see that rain tapering off to showers for tomorrow. Highs up to 14 degrees. Some breaks, especially across the central interior with highs closer to 17. Southeastern corners will see that risk of a thunderstorm, some instability, temperatures into the low 20s. And all areas across the south coast overnight, tomorrow morning, cloud cover with the chance for some showers. We'll see more of a clearing on the way with the partly cloudy sky towards the afternoon. A bright spot on a Monday. Blip will be on Tuesday and then back into some sunshine for our Wednesday. Nithu? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. A weekend lantern festival is brightening up Vancouver's historic Chinatown. The first ever Light Up Chinatown kicked off this morning with a lion dance eye-dotting ceremony. Hundreds of lanterns draped in the 100 block of East Pender, 500 block of Columbia and neighboring streets will be lit tonight. The community celebration features live entertainment on a main stage and food trucks all designed to welcome people back to Chinatown, which of course was hit hard during the pandemic. I'm from Dallas, Texas. This is a nice surprise. I like the dances. Yeah, yeah the performances. That's good. It's good. Chinatown is where the Chinese Canadians first started and they settled here. And uh, lately it hasn't been doing too well and uh, we need to support Chinatown, make sure that uh, this historical place continues to thrive. Light Up Chinatown runs through to Sunday. Organizers hope it will become an annual event. Seems like it's off to a great start. I didn't get the orange memo today. Lions, <laughs> That's right. I, I looked down when at the, the preview. When the Lions play, we should get my... I think I have an orange tie back there. there so. you I go. was thinking you we'll might. <laughs> yeah. Well, away from football for a moment, Barry, what do you have coming up? Yeah, well, we do have Lions coming, but uh, the big story today, I think a lot of people were uh, glued to their TV sets watching uh, Leila Annie Fernandez go for the U.S. Open title. Uh, unfortunately, fell just short, but uh, what a battle between... Uh, Two very talented and uh, precocious teenagers. We'll have highlights of that coming up. And Annie, so uh, so mature beyond her years, a very poignant speech uh, towards the New York crowd on a special 9-11 anniversary. So we'll have some of that as well. Well said. Thanks so much, Barry. 
And still ahead, after the discovery near the former Kamloops Indian Residential School, to Kamloops Tishwetmik Kukti Roseanne Kazmir joins me to discuss the federal election campaign and her message to the party leaders. Stay with us. The revealing of unmarked burial sites on the grounds of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School this summer unearthed a tide of grief and anger across the country. It had many hoping the atrocities of the institutions mandated to assimilate Indigenous youth would become a top federal election issue, but they have received little attention in the campaign so far. And for more on this, we are joined now by Tecumloops Tishwetmik Cookpe Roseanne Kazmir. Cookpe Roseanne, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for the invitation. Of course. So first of all, what is your reaction to what you've seen so far in the federal election campaign and where Indigenous issues seem to stand on the priority list? Well, um, when I'm looking at, you know, where reconciliation is on a priority list, um, you know, what I see is that it has been barely discussed and, you know, as a community who's in the thick of, the, you know, dealing with the missing children in our caretakership, you know, we understand the very real, um, you know, burden, you know, it places on all communities that have been affected and impacted. So, you know, again, first and foremost, you know, it's about um, grappling with the heart-wrenching um, truth coming to light. It's about the re-traumatization, the Indian residential school survivors, you know, finally being heard after all this time, really heard. And the toll that it has on all our resources from the community members, um, our staff and our fellow council, you know, dealing with the onslaught of the work, the emotions, and, you know, the additional financial um, demands as well. And, you know, knowing that, um, you know, there's so much skepticism around reconciliation, you know, both here at the Kamos de Schwetmik, and across Turtle Island, as we have collectively, you know, witnessed um, the glacial pace of the meaningful change by politicians, you know, you know, what I'm observing is from what I have witnessed to date, and there is really little to no real discussion other than a few headlines that have been mentioned and tossed around, you know, during the debate. And Cookby Roseanne, what is your message to the federal leaders who have all vowed to work towards advancing reconciliation and building trust on how they can actually do that? Well, I would say there's a long list of urgent actions that needs to be done. And that's, you know, there's so many that affect us, you know, as First Nations. And, you know, it, it impacts and has affected all of our lives. And so I think, you know, prioritization for the implementation, you know, of the calls to action of the truth and reconciliation on the commissions of Canada, you know, that is extremely important. Um, that the calls to justice of the national inquiry into the missing and murdered Indigenous women as well. And also the work of addressing the many inequities of tre in treatment of Indigenous peoples in public policy. Um, you got the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal that Canada racially discriminates against First Nations youth and their families. And definitely ending boil water advisories and ensuring that all Indigenous communities have access to safe, clean water. Also, there's the inequitable access to health care and mental health and addiction support. The stories of residential schools and other programs 
of assimilation tell us that the harms done continue and do exist today. And, you know, those are just some prime examples. So all those need urgent action. How important is it for you uh, being uh, the cookbee of the community that has essentially shocked non-Indigenous Canadians right across this country to have federal leaders visit you in your community and hear you out in your own setting? Well, for us, it is about truth-telling. And for us, it's about having them hear and see for themselves and know what we're dealing with, know the truths that are here directly, know that there is still so much pain and trauma that is ongoing, and know that, you know, we need to collectively work on that path together moving forward. All right, Cook P. Roseanne, again, joining us on Global News. Cook P. Roseanne, thank you so much again for your time. Thank you. And coming up in sports, youth is served. Two teenagers in a battle for the ages in the Women's U.S. Open Championship. Canada's Layla Annie Fernandez trying to win her first ever Grand Slam title. Head to BC Place for Sevens Rugby. The HSBC Canada Sevens Tournament returns for another year of high-intensity Sevens Rugby, paired with a spectacle of entertainment and fan engagement. Info at CanadaSevens.com. Support the Boys and Girls Club and fulfill an item on your bucket list at Over the Edge. Raise a minimum of $1,000 to support amazing kids in our community and get the chance to rappel down the side of the Hyatt Regency Vancouver. See their website for details. For our BC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the hub. Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's here for a full look at sports. And Barry, it is a big day, a somber anniversary being marked around the world and also all eyes on the U.S. Open, and both did come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a great day in New York, and uh, the kids were more than all right at center stage on center court in New York. Thanks so much, Neithu. Uh, well, youth has been served at this U.S. Open like it hasn't been in two decades. 19-year-old Layla Annie Fernandez of Montreal taking on Toronto-born and Great Britain-raised Emma Raducanu in today's final and true to form the two teens delivered a spectacular performance the quality of the tennis was world-class as these two young phenoms went after it for their first ever grand slam title layla has been such a crowd favorite at flushing meadow has used the crowd to bring out the best tennis of her young career raducanu amazingly had to go through qualifiers to get to the main draw has not dropped a set in nine matches and steve nash bringing his hall of fame presence for layla once again Layla fell behind uh, two love, but roars back, drop shot, got her back to two apiece. You need a break or two to win the U.S. Open. Layla with a bit of luck here with the net cord. They always say sorry, but they're not sorry because they won the point. Three all. Raducanu has really steamrolled through the draw. Hasn't had to beat the top players like Layla has, but Raducanu can really hit the crisp winners like this one. And she was on serve up 4-3. Layla, though, matching her shot for shot. Big serve sets up the even bigger forehand for all as these two teens slug it out. But Raducanu continues to pressure Layla's serve. Layla not serving at a very high first serve percent, and it eventually cost her. Raducanu with the break takes the first set 6-4 in 58 minutes, but fantastic tennis. Early second set, Layla, deep return, sets up the winner, and she gets the break of serve to go up 2-1. But... 
The young Brit responds, jumps on that second serve for the winner, ties it to a piece. And then on Layla's next service game, Raducanu comes up with a tremendous passing shot. Just had a little more energy today. Layla's had five more hours on court with, uh, than Emma with all those tough three setters. So it's 4-2 Raducanu. But we know Layla will fight, and she fought off some match points. Somehow stays in this point, and then will crack the winner. Holds for 5-3. And then Layla pressuring Emma with a great return. The Raducanu lob will be long here. A great point for Fernandez. And on the play, Raducanu scraped her leg. She was bleeding, so they had to stop the match for a few minutes to repair the damage. And that seemed to favor Raducanu, who steadied herself. And then on her third match point, clubs the ace. And it's a Cinderella story for the 18-year-old Emma Raducanu from Qualies to the championship trophy. Two and a half million first prize. Layla gets one and a quarter. These two figure to have many battles in the coming years. Afterwards, 19-year-old Layla had some poignant words for her New York fans. I know this, on this day, it was especially hard for New York and everyone around the, the United States. I just want to say that I hope I can be as strong and as resilient as New York has been the past 20 years. I love you, New York, and hope to see you next year. I think she will be a fan favorite there forever. The uh, Lions should be well-rested as they get back at it tonight at BC Place against Ottawa. The Lions handily beat the Red Blacks on the road two weeks ago. They had the bye this past week. Now they play again. You can hear the game on AM 730 starting at 7. And, of course, we'll have all the highlights tonight at 11. CFL today, a busy day. Riders and Blue Bombers from Winnipeg. They call it the Banjo Bowl. It was just 12-9 Winnipeg at the half, but they blow it open late in the game. Zach Kalaro to Darvin Adams. It's a 39-yard touchdown, 26-9 Bombers. And then Kolaros is going to go deep again. 42-yarder to Kenny Lawler, who makes a fantastic catch while falling down. The sellout crowd loves it. Winnipeg bombs Saskatchewan to sweep the two-game series, 33-9 the final. Bombers lead the West at 5-1, and, and the Riders are now 3-2. and two. And Stampeders and Elks from Edmonton, Bo Levi Mitchell back at quarterback for Calgary. A physical battle, Kamar Jordan, look out! Hammered by Keyshawn Bieria, 9-6 stamps at the half, all field goals. In the third, the most exciting play in football, the backup quarterback sneak for a touchdown. Stamps Jake Mayer takes it in, 16-6 at that point, 22-16 Calgary late in the fourth. Well, even though Simon Fraser lost big again today, their kicker, Christy Elliott, made history by becoming the first Canadian female to score in a college football game. She made two extra points in SFU's 56-20 loss against Linfield in Oregon today. So congrats to Christy and the SFU football program. Jays and Orioles playing two today. Toronto starting the day just a half back of the Yankees for the final wild card. Last place Orioles stopped the Jays' eight-game win streak last 
last night, and they were trouble again today. Jays were down 5-2 until Vladdy Guerrero's 43rd homer made it 5-3. But Jays pitchers could not keep the ball in the park either. Ryan Mountcastle hits Baltimore's fourth homer of the day. Orioles built up a 10-5 lead, but the Jays were not done. They cut it to 10-9 in the seventh, and then with two out, George Springer, who has just one good leg right now, with a two-run homer just fair to left, and 11-10 Jays, unbelievable. And with the win, they move into a tie with the Yankees for the wild card in the second game right now. It's 1-0 Orioles in the fifth. The Whitecaps' 10-game MLS unbeaten streak came to an end last night at BC Place as they fell 1-0 to Portland. Whitecaps had their chances, probably at least deserved a draw, but could not find the back of the old onion bag when they needed it most. Max Cripo back from national team duty, leading the Whitecaps onto the pitch. It was scoreless into the second half, and then some bad luck for the Caps. Ranko Veselinovic puts it in his own net. He had good intentions, but uh, ooh. Had to let that one go through, but it's off him and in. The best chance for the Whitecaps, Daber Caicedo had a uh, shot that looks like it's headed in, but how about the defender backing up the keeper to keep it out? It ends 1-0 Timbers. The Caps remain eighth in the West, but still playing some pretty good soccer. If, if, if we have to lose games, it's good to lose games like this when we don't deserve and we play and we outplay the opponents. So... Uh, we don't have to uh, get frustrated. Uh, in, in soccer, You sometimes you can't control the outcome, but you can control the process, and the process is going well. And Cristiano Ronaldo in the starting 11 day today for Man United as they hosted Newcastle. Ronaldo, as we know, loves the big stage, and he went right to center stage in this one. Scores on the rebound there. Old Trafford was... Bumping after that, and then Ronaldo would add a second in the 62nd minute, runs onto it, and then does all the legwork, drills it through the wickets. It's uh, like he never left. Two goals in his United return at Old Trafford, and Man U win 4-1. to one. They're tied for first with Chelsea with 10 points through four games. And Nithu, that is sports. All right, thanks so much, Barry. And we'll be right back with details on the latest Asian giant hornet's nest found in the Pacific Northwest. Stay with us for the so-called murder hornets in the Pacific Northwest. Earlier this summer, we told you about a nest of Asian giant hornets found just across the border in Blaine, Washington. Now, state agricultural officials have found two more nests of the invasive species close to where the first one was located. They took down one of the two nests today and are also working on eradicating the third. The five-centimeter-long hornet gets its nickname because it's a predator of other insects, including honeybees, that pollinate many crops. Get off that shot. (laughs) That brings us to the end of the news hour. Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11. Thanks for joining us, everybody.